Welcome everybody to episode 117 of the Metabilas 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben, and David, and I guess this is the end. This is it, this is it. The, the moment has been prepared. No, hang no, on, that's somewhere. different, different regenerate. It's not even a regeneration story. Not even regeneration. He has to wait until he gets shot in San Francisco on New Year's Eve in mm-hmm. 1999. So we are talking about none other than survival, uh, the last classic Doctor Who story. The last classic Doctor Who story. Ah, uh, it's been a long, what a long, strange trip it's been. Mm-hmm. As the uh, as <laughs> grateful the dad goes. say, yeah, as the grateful dad yes. say. Yes, yeah, and we've been we've been basically paying attention to Ace, mm-hmm. um, and using that as an excuse for. Uh, you know, just um, a, a lens to focus our attention on these last two seasons of Sylvester McCoy. And here we are. We finally reached survival. Um, we've arrived at the uh, London suburb of Perivale. Mm-hmm. Kudos to the Doctor Who team and to the director of this uh, particular episode, whose name is what is his name? This is again Alan, Alan Waring. Waring. Yep, this is Alan Waring. Yep. Um, for actually shooting this all in Perryvale. Yeah. Well done. Because, I mean, Perryvale's a reasonably anonymous suburb. Um, could have shot it anywhere. I wonder if they had uh, trouble shooting due to the noise coming off the freeway or... What is it? The A4? What is What what road goes by Perryvale? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I think it's the A40. A40, actually. okay. Uh, just give me a... Wait a second. Time I, for the map. It is the A40, yes. Yeah. A40, that, that'll take you to the M40, and then that'll then take you to uh, Oxford, if you're oh. lucky, if you okay. keep on driving. Um, when I was at university, one would get the, uh, the the bus that would take you from Oxford. It was called the Oxford Tube, and would take you all the way down the M40, all the way down the A40 to central London through Perryvale, which was huh. nice. So how much of this, how much did he encapsulate uh, 1989 Perryvale or a London suburb? Is it accurate? Well, okay, this is, I was, I was going to mention this. I, I, and this is, maybe this is one of these American-British things, but it seems to me that certainly for uh, American fans of a particular uh, vintage, mm-hmm. um, Perryvale has become synonymous with, I don't know, um, what's a famously boring american town i don't know um somewhere in southern <laughs> minnesota <laughs> hmm. you know just a just a kind of a horrific mankato mankato please don't say it. that's where my <laughs> lovely wife is from um you know it's, it's like mankato or something which actually it's not it's you basically there's a lovely tube station in the center of of perivale um it's on the central line you can get to oxford street in 45 minutes I don't really know what um, uh, what Ace is complaining about, to be mm. honest. Um, she seems to be making an awful fuss about living somewhere that really isn't that bad. Right. Certainly, boredom-wise, um, she should try living in, I don't know, Chelmsford or, I don't know, some Urmston. I don't know, suburb <laughs> of Manchester, you know, or I don't know, Basingstoke. Mm. Perryvale's fine, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, American fans out there, stop... Stop hating on Perivale. It's not actually as bad as it sounds. Do you Ace think it's just... improved since 1989? Nah, I think it's probably pretty much the same. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's probably fewer shops because the British high street is dying thanks to uh, 
American companies like Amazon. Hmm. But um, so you're not going to get uh, comedians running a, a grocer then. Yeah, yeah, you'll get Hale and Pace running running a running a grocery store. That that is. Um, uh, well, we can come on to that, but uh, that's <laughs> just deeply unrealistic. I don't know who those two people are supposed to be. I think even in 1989, um, you probably would have got more likely to have immigrants of some kind mm-hmm. running a grocery store in Perry Well, the cliche would be a Pakistani grocer, I think. It would be, which is which is not necessarily a cliche because it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly more true than two middle-aged white men. Um, <laughs> don't know really what they're doing. Um, it's maybe stunt casting. It's stunt cast. I thought that. I thought they came across as gay, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Hale and Pace, and you know, Hale and Pace are famously heterosexual. They right. they they'd be very cross with you if you said <laughs> if you said they were gay. They don't like buffs. Mm. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, Perryville's great. I, in fact, in fact, you know what? Next time you're in London, oh. um, go to Perryville. It's it's really quite pleasant. I said it's 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 on the Central Line. Hmm. Um, so, so you, can you said actually, 45 minutes from Oxford Street. Yeah, and you can oscillate between Barking, uh, where I think uh, the Who shop is, mm-hmm. um, and just keep on the Central Line and just go all the way along the Central Line through Central London up to Perryville. Yeah, well, good deal. I mean, it's part of Metroland. It's Middlesex. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know Sir John Betjeman, etc. 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 It's the it's these suburbs of London that grew up when they built the Underground Railway, or at least when they extended it out. In, uh, westwards mm-hmm. and i yeah I, it's 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 so, absolutely fine so you don't think that this is a uh looking back in 89 it was still fine too yeah i mean i i don't remember it being i mean uh uh I, those suburbs are are fine uh okay. you know they are uh i said they're probably they're pretty much unchanged i would have thought um mm-hmm. from 1989 um and you know it's, it's commuter land it's it's, I mean, I think, you know, this maybe feeds into the idea that, you know, uh, Ace isn't nearly as working class as we like to think she is. Right. Um, she's sort of a spoilt middle class kid, basically, who's, mm-hmm. you know, making a fuss about living somewhere that really isn't that bad. Right. I think the other thing maybe to point about Perryville, and this is something that came to me when I was watching this, is that it's quite near Windsor. Uh, well, Harrow. <laughs> Silver Nemesis oh. Windsor? <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Um, well, it's you know it's west of London. It's it's near Harrow, Harrow on the Hill, okay. Which of course is where the uh, famous public school is. Harrow is is derives its name from a pagan sanctuary. And just looking at my info text, um, it seems that Rona Munro, uh, certainly at that period, and actually everybody at that period in Britain was obsessed with like the occult mm. and you know magic and kind of earth magic and you know it was kind of a hangover from the sixties for us. Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, she's thinking about Hearn the Hunter when she is uh, when Monroe is writing about those magical cheetahs that appear appear on horseback. Oh. Um, Hearn the Hunter is a mythical figure, largely based in Windsor Great Park, which is of course to the south of Perryvale, but not that far away. And um, uh, again, I think you know would definitely have a connection with Harrow and Harrow on the Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my that's my particular that's my fan theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, the one thing I kind of observed was it seemed more London in my brief. Well, I, I haven't been in London for years, but more London than say Rose's Cardiff, London. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know they made a smart decision to film it in. Perryvale. Right. Um, so it seems very London because that's exactly what it is. 
Mm-hmm. What's wrong with, with Roses London is it's not London, it's Cardiff. Right. And all you have to do is look at it, you know, more closely and strip away kind of superficial, you know, phone boxes and, you know, red buses and right. uh, stuff. And it, yeah, it's, that's Cardiff, mm-hmm. basically. Um, so, I mean, the location filming is, is genius because right. it, it just really, it's, yeah, that's Perivale. That's what those places are like. And mm-hmm. I, I have a great affection for those, for those London suburbs. I think, they're, I think they're wonderful places, really. And I think, actually, that, that's, I think that's what I'm alluding to here with talking about Rona Monroe and Hearn the Hunter and mm-hmm. the kind of magic of the, 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 the early summer to midsummer suburb is that they are kind of magical lazy strange weird places where you could actually imagine extraordinary things happening including <laughs> cheetah people appearing from nowhere and to me and i i really really like this this is actually my favorite uh, uh i have decided this is my favorite mccoy uh, and to me what what i think monroe is tapping into here is actually she is showing us how these places that people despise um, or say they despise someone like Ace is saying like oh, this is a horrible boring place these places can be places of mm-hmm. kind of insane magic and you know the cheetah people are basically mm. magic um, they don't really have a right yeah. that you know Christopher H Bidmead has got no hand in this one there's no there's no hard <laughs> science going on here these cheetah people literally appear as if by magic um, and disappear as if by magic Again, right. I was very much reminded when I watched yeah. the, when I was watching this of the the work of Alan Garner, who's a a kind of I guess nowadays he'd be called young adult author, but when I was reading him, he was like a children's author. Um, where you know, in nondescript suburbs, magical things would happen, and there's a whole kind of subgenre of British children's literature that is well, I may guess you know, uh, perhaps. Uh, all stemming from C.S. Lewis and Narnia, that um, mm-hmm. these things can happen in these places. Uh, again, you know, one's perhaps, again, thinking about Hearn the Hunter, one's reminded of the novels of Susan Cooper, The Darkest Rising sequence. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think all of this, all the, all of this fits in quite nicely and, and is really anchored by Waring's very, very good decision to film it in Perivale itself. And I think it also, if it is uh, indeed inspired in part by Hearn the Hunter, I think it ties in well with the uh, Lost Roman Legion that in the in the new Who, absolutely, yeah, Rona Monroe story where she's tying into something a little something historical, something that has a little uh, myth mythology associated with it. Yeah, and I think you know maybe this is where my 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 idea is coming from is you know having seen a more recent Who by. Monroe, that's exactly what she's doing. You know, she's being all mytho- she's all being mythological, and she's really being, you know, she's talking about magic. You know, this is not this is fantasy. This isn't this isn't science fiction. It's science fantasy. Yeah, and when you think about what comes next, and I'm skirting around Ace, and we'll come back to Ace. But when you think about the 1996 television movie and how we leave the master who's uh he disappears or he, he's on the planet of the cheated people when we least last see him but he's possessed by an animal and then what do you see the eric roberts master he has he's possessed again by a snake so there's some continuity into that one bridging story in 96 1996 with the tv movie with with the master so you have uh, that bit of continuity and then of course you have mccoy 
reprising his role at the first part of the TV movie. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and I, again, my, my info text helpfully pointed out to me that is that the master is wearing a snake um, uh, a motif on his uh, on his belt. <laughs> well, there you go. I did not notice of, that. <laughs> the clasp of his belt is, is, is in the shape of a snake. Mm. Ooh, spooky foreshadowing. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, I, just, I thought it was more of a worm, though, that, the thing that took over. An Ouroboros, it looked maybe, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. It was that weird thing. Anyway, yeah, and the TV movie master. And I think Monroe does a little better job uh, here weaving in some Darwin-type bits with the survival of the fittest. Now, it's, again, a misinterpretation of the survival of the fittest, a Darwinian theory, but... I think it works better within the story. Yeah. When people are critiquing this, unlike with Ghostlight, they aren't saying this is heavily influenced by Darwin and evolution here. It's just taking one aspect from Darwin, uh, the survival of the fittest, and then extrapolating it out where they say, you know, the law of the jungle and that, that bit where she expands upon it. Well, I mean, where it becomes super smart is in episode three when Midge is, you know, he's fully cheaterized um, right. or not fully cheaterized, but, you know, he's 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 a weird, a weird cheater of some kind, yeah. you know, and he comes marching into the youth, uh, the youth center. Uh, and talking about survival of the fittest, and I'm going to teach you a new a new way to to win, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's totally dressed up as like an '80s white boy, um, uh, you know, his his glasses and his jacket and his you know all of his clothes and his demeanor um, are you know it's a this is the kind of city barrow boy um, of the 1980s when we were all being taught by you know Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan that the way to get on in the world is survival of the fittest and devil take the hind the most and make as much money as you possibly can as quickly as possible and that actually fits in really really well because it's 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 connecting evolution to politics to society um through uh through doctor who and it's 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 a it's a real it's a kind of a revelationary moment when you realize that 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 is what midge has become he's become the kind of people that we were told to admire in the 80s and were responsible for, you know, the crash of of uh, of, uh, of 1988 and, you know, the economic problems that led us into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, very smart. Interesting. Very, yeah. very smart. So it's not, it's not a kind of cack-handed, like, attempt to do a social commentary on the Victorians and evolution, which is interesting maybe if you're a victorian but not particularly relevant nowadays but it just brings the whole thing really up to date and uh and makes it makes makes that third episode a satire which i think mm-hmm. is very effective mm-hmm. i think julian holloway uh who plays sarge or i guess patterson's the name of the character hits the right notes and it's interesting that he does survive even though he probably shouldn't have survived the cheetah planet and it's largely due to the thanks, uh, the interference or the uh, the help that he gets from the doctor. And I think it's really telling towards the end that he he pretends it was a blackout. And then when he's holding the other young man's hand, then he, you know, he starts a little bit of gay panic there, like what's going on. And I think it's an interesting portrayal of looking at that time and place in 1989 of what's going on where how this how this man who has SAS trainings so to speak just doesn't <laughs> it he he's selling himself for more than what he is he's riding a a bicycle rather than a motorcycle on that bit yeah and i think i actually i mean I, it, it's it's interesting i mean patterson starts off as being a 
ostensibly an unsympathetic character and we're kind of maybe you know at the end of end of part one or part two that the the cheetah people are looking like they're going to be you know devouring him something they're playing with him uh, but he ad- ends up being a pretty sympathetic character i think patterson um and he's well written and he's you know pretty well rounded and uh you know he obviously cares about the kids who he's you know he's teaching martial arts to right and uh yeah he's a he's a I, I, I like it. I like him as a character. He doesn't end up dead either, which is nice. Well, he has some depth to the character. Yes, and definitely depth. I don't think he's really sympathetic, but I think he's an interesting character. There's some depth to the character. He's not He's not just the cutout where he's the uh, uh, over-machismoed over fitness instructor. Yeah, and one could imagine, you know, in less skillful hands, he could be the kind of an awful cliche of the... This fitness instructor, you know, who's like, you know, uh, secretly gay and um, I don't know, um, and manipulating these kids and you mm-hmm. know, being all macho and then ends up, I don't know, getting killed because he's not nearly as, he's, he was never in the SAS anyway, which no, no doubt he wasn't. Right. Um, so, you know, he's good. It's, it's, mm-hmm. he's, it's, I mean, all the characters are good. Midge is good. Patterson is good. I think Ace's friend is good. I think the Shri- relationship... Shrila. Or, Shrila. Or, or are you talking about Kara, uh, 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 Lisa Bowerman? I was just about to say Kara. Yes, Shrila and Kara. The the relationship between Ace and Shrila and the relationship between Ace and Kara. And um, or even the scene on the uh, Perryville High Street with uh, Ange, where she's thought, yeah. well, I thought you were dead. I thought that came across yeah. pretty well as a friend, an associate, or an acquaintance, and just sort of like, oh, where, yeah. where have you been? I thought you've been dead. Yeah, which I, I mean, I, I get, I don't know whether this is actual or not, but of course, I mean, that's the classic line from Escape from New York when everyone meets um, <laughs> Snake Plissken. They go, I, I thought you were dead. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that's a kind of foreshadowing of how awesome Ace was planned to become. Um, maybe she was going to be the Snake Plissken of Doctor Who if she'd been given another series. Perhaps, perhaps she was. Perhaps, perhaps, yes. So Lisa Bowerman, who yeah. Bernice Summerfield, her big finish. Yes. Uh, this is yeah. her first association with Who. Yeah, and she does an excellent job. Uh, I, by all accounts, it was ferociously hot in that quarry down in... Uh, uh, not quarry. Yes, it is a quarry. That quarry down, yeah, in, down in Dorset. Um, just adjacent to where they were filming Curse of Fenric. So obviously the weather's got better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by then and everyone's dressed up in furry cheetah costumes and uh, again my infotex tells me that some people had a horrible time and stormed off the set because it was too hot um Lisa right. Bowman stuck with it and now we now she's been Bernie Summerfield for about 30 mm-hmm. years so good for her yeah and I think it's an interesting portrayal where I guess it, these days, when since Rona Monroe has been asked, there's supposed to be this affection between Ace and Kara, that this was Ace's girlfriend. Yeah, I think it can be ambiguous. I mean, she may be or she may be not. And who, you know, how does it really matter? I mean, I think they have this connection of being, you know, aggressive hunters. Mm-hmm. And obviously Ace is becoming more and more of an aggressive hunter because she has become, uh, you know, more and more... Uh, you know the the influence of the cheetah planet is you know kind of affecting her and appeals uh, to her and, yeah and i would say you know this it's so it was so refreshing to watch this episode and to have a plot that doesn't have a bunch of unnecessary stuff in it yeah um and is simply about telling 
a, just a relatively simple magic story mm-hmm. about um, the Doctor and Ace going to a scary alien planet and having to get back again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no subtext or surtext about, you know, racism or evolution or Victorians or <laughs> one of them's a gay mathematician, the other one's a repressed naval officer and there's vikings and runes from the beginning of time and there's goo coming out of the ground and you know it's just like well just it's just it's it's the space for the story to breathe which is having you know the kind of just endless kind of info dump of fenric and ghostlight mm-hmm. preceding it this is this is like a breath of fresh air really it's a writer who doesn't feel she needs to show off her knowledge to say how brilliant she is. She can just hint at it at the, around the edges. It's very streamlined. It's very economical. It's very, it's 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 a masterful work in that she can just allude to and not have to do like you say the big info dump or go add the subplot or add these layers and layers on there at the expense of the story. And I think it's instructive that, you know, she's gone on to be a pretty successful and famous playwright Mm -hmm. in the same way that, you know, Ian Briggs and Mark Platt and others have not become, gone on to Mm. become successful Mm -hmm. playwrights. I mean, I think they're perfectly successful in their own fields. There's certainly been, certainly Mark Platt has been very successful to my mind in, in some of the, Doctor Who audios that he's written, but they've they've not achieved the kind of level of uh, critical and general success that Monroe has achieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think that's a fair so. fair assessment. Yeah, I mean she's good at what she does, mm-hmm. um, and you know the characters are sympathetic without being overwritten. Mm-hmm. So yes, we feel sympathy for Nicholas Parsons, the vicar. Because our sympathy for him is like bashed over our head, like every time we see him, we're told we have to be sympathetic to this this tortured vicar. Mm-hmm. Um, a character like Patterson, it's a well written, well rounded character that we end up feeling sympathy for, not because it's bashed over our head, but because he's actually a living, breathing, well rounded character with depth. So you had mentioned that you thought Ace was perhaps a little bit more of a spoiled uh, suburbanite kid, more than the Cockney that she's been trying to come across as. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I I think that's how Monroe's writing her. Mm -hmm. Um, I think other people who, again, maybe being less subtle, maybe even her inventor, Briggs, Mm -hmm. um, maybe sees her as like a cockney geezer of some kind. But if she was, she wouldn't be from Perivale for a start. She'd be from somewhere else. And uh, yeah, and again, I think perhaps for American fans, you can't really tell the difference between some working class kid from the East End and some lower middle class <laughs> from kid the from Perryvale from the suburbs you know it's all the same to you mm-hmm. um but yeah no i think i think that's how Monroe's writing her mm-hmm. well that's it's, what I'm, it's i'm picking up it's a more interesting character whether Briggs intended this or not by making her from Perryvale rather from the east end it's a different character than that what you would have on television because really on for the east end you have the east enders you have you, do, yes. you have that covered really <laughs> really pretty well and by yeah. putting her a, a girl from the western suburbs who has a mom issue and it, it's it's different than what you would get in some of the soaps contemporary soaps at the time yeah yeah i mean but briggs briggs says she's from perryvale right in dragonfire right yeah yeah this i wonder i wonder why he picks perryvale does anyone know maybe it's same way that or same reason that chibnall uh, chose sheffield because he 
did grew up or did went to school around there or something like that yeah yeah maybe yeah maybe he maybe he has the same feelings about Perivale than um, the, the, that Ace does. Um, it doesn't say here on um, Wikipedia where he was born. <laughs> um, why does it not mm-hmm. tell me where he was born? <laughs> Desperate to find out where Ian Briggs was born. Um, don't know. Anyone, if anyone knows where Ian Briggs was born, maybe he was born in Perivale uh, and therefore uh, wanted to do it down in the same way that Ace wanted to do it down. I, again, my opinion here is that... Uh, Monroe is celebrating Perry Vale, right. not 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 mm-hmm. critiquing it. And she, it seems to be a far more nuanced view of uh, of of the uh, the suburb of Perry Vale than Briggs mm-hmm. maybe wanted to give it. What I think is interesting in it is we do return to Perry Vale, and we set up the whole mother bit in the in Curse of Fenric, which is part of this uh, Ace arc of stories. Yeah, but we don't meet Ace's mother. And even though Patterson says it only costs 10p to call, it's not like uh, Mickey where we had in Age of Steel where he go visits his uh, grandma in the alternative universe. Ace really is uh, alienated from her mother and does not... Uh, there, there's no happy ending with Ace and her mom. There's no reconnection. No, there isn't. And I, But I can also actually see Monroe not really wanting to write that if you see what i mean because oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. such a cliche um and would be such boring television well uh, as resolution showed cough cough as resolution <laughs> shows <laughs> um, um. that that you know any any script writer actually knows what they're doing would be like do i have to write that maybe maybe ian briggs can write it next time he's writing doctor who because i don't really want to write it i want to tell a more interesting story right which is what she ends up doing I think we see more of who she really was before the time storm swept her off into Ice World than perhaps what she's been... Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, agree. Yeah. I think the Cockney rhyming slang is just her trying to be someone she isn't. Yeah, and she's not really using it in, you know, this whole kind of Utah reg. She's not using any of that language right. in, in, in this in this. Right. story at all right um, right uh she's not trying to... <laughs> not a single gordon bennett or wicked not, or anything not a single like wicked professor all that makes her kind of you know a bit tooth jarringly in, inauthentic mm-hmm. and again the scenes with cara where they're talking about um uh you know the wind and uh, blood and all that kind of stuff are actually a very a really affecting and important and kind of character driven in the way that Ace murbling on about the wind in her dress or whatever she was talking about in Fenric is just simply embarrassing <laughs> and weird. Yeah, and it's the same type of language, though, that they're using. Exactly. But it's just, it's just as embarrassingly bad with Fenric. It's, it's, yeah, it just doesn't work in Fenric because it's unearned and it's not really centered in whatever plot Fenric thinks it's running at that particular point in its in its story mm-hmm. and it's beautiful language and it makes perfect sense in the relationship between this alien magical cheetah person and this you know starting to become a cheetah person earth mm-hmm. person and again i think what we find out is you know obviously that all of these cheetahs were originally or possibly were originally cheetahs in some way because of course when when kara dies she turns into lisa bowman Right. Um, uh, and so, oh yes, well, obviously she was human originally and had stumbled right. into the, onto the cheetah world and had been taken over by the cheetah, the cheetah vibes of the cheetah mm-hmm. planet and become a cheetah like everyone does who are on, who's on the cheetah planet, the planet mm-hmm. of the cheetahs. 
Yeah, I think it's really good writing of Monroe again, where she uh, she has the doctor describe the risk of the planet to Ace and I guess of Kara as dangerously attractive because he knows that there's some appeal of Kara and of the planet to Ace who feels more alive there than anywhere else that there's a risk to her and it's 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 a nice image that something's dangerously attractive right yes exactly yeah yeah that some people are Yes, some things are, are, yes, I'm just going to repeat what you just said. Some <laughs> things are both dangerous and attractive, and mm-hmm. their attractiveness is in their danger, and their danger is in their attractiveness, which mm-hmm. is what being a cheater on the cheetah planet is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it trapped the master, this yeah. attraction. And again, <laughs> and, I don't, and, it's, and he's fighting against it. I, I don't think Anthony Ainley's been better than, than he was in, in survival. I think, it, I think this is the best master that he's been. Really, really better than say uh, his first one, the Keeper of Tarkin. Or well, Keeper of Tarkin's good, um, though Legopolis. he's he's not really he's not really the master in 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 true. In, he's Tremus. He's Tremus. Yeah. I yeah, I mean maybe he's early master masterness, but you know he mm-hmm. becomes a kind of cackling lunatic quite quickly. Um, right. Here, you know, he's a kind of a tragic marooned figure who is both kind of fleeing or you know what's the word trying to expunge his cheetah-ness, uh, <laughs> but also is also dangerously attracted to it as well and doesn't right. really know what to do. It's power. He doesn't have a master plan um, <laughs> that the master usually has, some silly plan that he's trying to do that involves, you know, I'm going to change the Magna Carta so that democracy doesn't happen. Yeah, or, he's just trying to escape. He's just trying to escape. Uh, like everyone is trying to escape from the cheetah planet, but the cheetah planet keeps drawing them back again because that's mm-hmm. what the cheetah planet does. Um, and he, I don't know, his makeup seems better. I don't know, it's just because he's older and he's got, I don't know, maybe... He seems they, very old, I they think. They changed this... his wig or something. <laughs> but he, he seems different uh, and and more of a character. Well, wasn't it about three years since he last played the role? He seems to have aged a lot in the... Yeah. Um, maybe it's because uh, Waring does a lot of close-ups with Ainley, too, that yeah, he seems could be. older. Yeah, he seems older. Um, You know, I scribbled down when I was watching this, I uh, certainly... You know when he when he gets revealed, um, or you know when the doctor goes into that. You know, there's all those cheetah people going cheetah people, and then the doctor, you know, goes into the cheetah people camp, and then he goes into the tent where there's someone and goes and it's the master. Um, I scribbled down Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse mm. Now. You know, I mean mm. that's that's the impression you get is that you know um, uh, this is some kind of primitive planet with some you know crazy cheetah people that you have to get through before you get to the heart of darkness which is the master so you know, he's you know he's he's colonel kurtz or um uh, or regular kurtz from um from uh from the heart of darkness or colonel right. colonel kurtz from apocalypse now and he is you know yeah. when i'm in, i'm reminded of you know marlon brando that could be yeah that could be it's also sarge would be kind of the wannabe in perryville if i you, if suppose so to... yeah he could be the he could be the whatever the uh the martin the, you mean the martin sheen character who yeah has to go up the yeah river. yeah could be yeah. yeah could be could be sort could of be. yeah it's yeah. just it's kind of funny that uh, uh mccoy's doctor is the weirdo or the crazy one who's going after cats and sarge is always he's the obstacle trying to always interfering with the doctor's plans to try to find out what's going with the kitling yeah yeah 
So, I mean, I think Anthony is great in this. Um, mm-hmm. Really very good uh, indeed. Um, uh, and the other thing was reminding me, actually, is I'm, I sh- actually I should look up where they were both filmed. I didn't do that. But um, there's a movie that I'm very fond of called The Land That Time Forgot, which is an Ed- Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptation from 1974, which is co-written by Michael Moorcock, the science fiction writer. Um, and of course, um, Anthony Annie's in that. He plays an evil uh, uh, German submarine, not captain. He's the second command of a German submarine. Oh, Lieutenant Deitz or something Lieutenant like that. Lieutenant Deitz, yes. Yeah. And it, it all takes place in a kind of primitive, obviously it's the land that Tame forgot, so it's obviously it's a primitive place it takes place in. Right. And it kind of reminds me actually of the Cheetah Planet in some ways. <laughs> um, and actually I'm just trying to look up on Wikipedia now where the land that Time forgot was filmed. Um, maybe it was even filmed in I don't know. Probably well, it probably wasn't filmed. Perryvale. No. Well, probably wasn't filmed in Perryvale. <laughs> um, um, but I don't know. Maybe it was filmed in a in a you know quarry in Devon. Um, but anyway, but I mean that was also kind of a nice kind of you know callback for me. Um, mm-hmm. Is is that is that particular movie? Mm-hmm. I think this is some of Sophie Eldred's best acting in this. Yeah, well, because she's got a good script to work with. Hmm. Yeah, but she's very convincing, and you really believe what the lines that are coming out of her mouth, and that they don't sound awkward. And she doesn't seem, you know, in Fenric, she says, "I'm not a little girl anymore, Doctor." But here, you believe that she is a young woman in this. That uh, she was the one that was straightening up her gang or her friends. She was right. the one who was in charge. She has uh, a bit of authority to her persona. And it comes across very convincingly, and even the emotional bits where she uh, is trying to f- resist or fight the conversion to the, of the China planet, right? Uh, and she goes running into the doctor's arms. It's believable. It's not. It's not hokey. You can tell that she is struggling with these emotions, and uh, the actress Aldred is. Uh, doing a lot with this material and crying and she's going through a rough 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 spot and it isn't just an allegory of her relationship with her mother there's something else going on here right right no i agree i think it's it's mm-hmm. yes i mean it's it's a good script yeah that is and if you've got a good script it's you mm-hmm. you act well in it they just give her more depth and more uh, like the scenes that could devolve were when she was talking to Patterson and Patterson lets on, oh, you were the one with the fire and the police let you off. And you can see why she bristles at authority and wants to go deck someone when she's something, someone isn't going the way she wants. She's been kind of bucking up against this authority in Perryville uh, probably all her teenagehood. And if she did, you know, she burnt down Gabriel Chase. She has a a police record that she's gotten off lightly because she's a minor. You can see the backstory much more when you set the backstory in Perryvale than what you get to alluded to, like in Ghostlight, where or or in Dragonfire, where they're just uh, spoken. You 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 don't get the flashback, but you get people who would know the story and explaining it rather than as an info dump. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, I mean, the police record that she got, you know, she got she got let off because, you know, she's middle class. She's not, you know, she was a working class kid. They probably would have banged her up in some kind of way. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it again speaks to the fact that she's not nearly as not nearly Mm -hmm. as kind of, you know, of the people as she um, likes to think that she does. She's a bit of a poser in that sense, I guess. 
she is a bit of a poser. Yes, you know, she is a, she's a fantasist of some kind. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe the arc of her is losing that fantasist persona, you know. I mean, does, does she wear her special jackets in this uh, episode it was very much? Hot. It was hot, so I probably guess it was not hot, so much. maybe she didn't. But, you know, I mean, maybe what we're seeing is a beginning of her kind of stripping out all that, you know, I've got a boombox and I'm, I'm, you know, right. walking down the street and here's my <laughs> Nitro 9 and, you know, right. go blimey governor, have a mm-hmm. banana. It just seems, she seems like a more mature character, mm-hmm. you know, who's more in touch with her, you know, her predator who side. Who she is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is. Yeah. If this was the character and this was the type of writing that they would have had for season 27, and this would have, the season 27 would have been Ace being uh, probably two stories in, uh, transported or put into the the Academy on Gallifrey for to become Time Lord. I think this would have been, the, you, you see the maturity in survival that you didn't see. You see some kind of development of her character from being uh, a, a teen who dumps a milkshake over <laughs> a patron's head because she's having a tantrum to someone who is uh struggling against becoming a cheetah person that there's a there's a there's a bit of a uh, it probably just comes down to the the quality of Monroe's script but there's there seems to be more depth in Ace's character and just survival than there was in even with the added piling on of backstory and backstory in the previous episodes yeah that that yeah. weren't weren't there yeah, and I think it's a it's a lesson in that the way that you create characters, you write good characters, you don't give them just huge amounts of backstory. That doesn't actually make character what makes mm-hmm. characters being able to write convincing people. Yeah. And talking about convincing people, um, we haven't talked about Hale and Pace yet. Yeah, we did. Did we? Did we talk about Hale <laughs> yeah, and Pace? Yeah, at the very beginning. They weren't uh, convincing at all. <laughs> they weren't convincing at all. No, they weren't. Um, yeah. They're desperately unfunny. Um, everybody, go to YouTube and look up Hale and Pace, and you yeah, can discover I'd at them. Yeah, exactly, they aren't funny at all. <laughs> exactly how cripplingly, cripplingly unfunny they were. I don't know why. Why were they in Doctor Who? Why would John Nathan Turner cast them? That's. I mean, it's a stunt casting, but it doesn't yeah. seem like they're you know, not even. They weren't even a BBC property at that point. I. Right. I am confused. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were in a, maybe they were in, I mean, they probably, uh, no doubt they did Panto. So, um, maybe they were, maybe he was trying to groom them for, you know, one of his mm-hmm. pantomimes. Maybe. I don't yeah. Know. I think the music is good in this. This is Dominic Glynn and it has hints of spaghetti Western in it. Especially it does. Especially when you're on the cheetah I was planet. definitely listening. I was definitely hearing spaghetti Westerns. Yep. Which is another mm-hmm. great reference because of course everyone's, everyone's riding around in horses and there's, mm-hmm. you know. Indians, I guess there, 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 there is a tribe of some kind, yes, um, which is the tribe of the cheetah people, and there are kind of white people turning up and wanting to know what the hell's going on. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's it's it is it's it's effect, it's an effective soundtrack, and just uh, uh, I think he uses a really badly played violin for the cats, <laughs> and I think it all works really well, and I, I really. Really like the uh, just the Western motif in some of the uh, in some of the scoring yeah, with really, the yeah. guitar and really whatnot. effective. Yep, yeah. much more effective yeah. than some some of the earlier bits that we had in the McCoy Ace stories. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm just looking up Hale and Pace. Uh, they made ten series. They had ten series of the LWT show. I can't believe it. 
Mm-hmm. Can't believe it. Hale and bloody Pace. Gareth Hale and Norman Pace. Wait a second. What are they up to now? Yes. Anyway, worse. Yeah. They're retired. They're in probably in their 60s or early 70s. Nah. And in 2018, Hale appeared in the comedy TV series Benny Dorm with Norman Pace. And they're still oh. doing it. They're still right. doing it. They're still flogging their unfunny comedy. They they have fans somewhere. They, if someone thinks they're good. I mean, I mean, they've got the common <laughs> touch is what they've got. They've got the common mm-hmm. touch. That's that's good. Anyway, n- n- enough enough hail of pastry. I, I guess I was trying to think um what would be the American equivalent, but there isn't really an American equivalent. You, yeah. don't, you don't have any unfunny comedians, do you? They're all hilarious. I don't think we have really any comedian double acts at this time anymore. Yeah, costumes 90s. are great. Um, I think... You think so? I yeah, I think the, they're good. The cheetahs are a little weird, I think. A little too... Uh, furry for me. Really? Yeah. You, think you wanted to be more, more kind of slicked back, like they should have done with the, uh, with the rat in um, Wang Chiang. <laughs> no, it's not that they're. I think they're just a little too cuddly. I guess I would have them more, more, more sleek. I guess not, not slick, but sleek and right. uh, more, more of a neck, more graceful. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, but it's you know, I mean, they're quite. They're definitely quite cheatery. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you think they're related to the cat people from out of New Who? Oh, probably. Yeah, you think? Probably. You yeah. Can... The cat nuns. Mm-hmm. Cat nuns are relatives of the cheetah people. They're, they probably both eat humans. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder I wonder which... I was, I'm sure there's been a... I'm sure there's a fan chronology somewhere that relates the um, relates, relates to cheetah people to the cat nuns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I, you know the, the other thing was, sorry, I'm now, I'm going all over the place here. The, what, the other thing was reminding me of land the time, the land that time forgot is all those, is all those volcanoes going off in the background. Because mm-hmm. spoiler alert, that's how the land that time forgot ends. Is there's a big volcano that goes off. And, um, I think as far as I remember, Anthony only gets drowned in oil. Hmm. Huh. But anyway, um, I thought, I think the effects are good. I think the volcanoes in the background in the sky... Like with, the animatronic cat, uh, animatronic cat. Yeah, it does take you out of the action a little bit. Um, it's not quite it's a little bit Sabrina and the Teenage Witch. It's definitely very Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, cats are really hard. Apparently, they had three cats in Perryvale, and none of them would do what they're supposed to do. Hmm. Uh, animatronic cats or real cats? Oh, real cats. They hired like three stunt cats. To yeah. Use. When do cats ever do what they're? Well, yeah, I mean, if you hire them, like, I, we paid you good money, cats, to do what you're <laughs> supposed to do, and why aren't you doing it? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was I was once at a charity cricket match with Hale and Pace. Oh, yeah? my Hale and Pace anecdote. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, Hale was bowling and Pace was batting, or maybe it was the other way around, I can't remember. And we were at the other, we were at one end of the crease, like, obviously, you know, off the field, but, you know, facing one of them. And uh, we were, like... We'd had quite a bit to drink. I was quite young. I was this was like 1990 or something. Um, we, we'd had quite a bit to drink at that point. So we were basically taunting Hale and Pace by like shouting out their names. And they couldn't quite hear us. Um, so they just started waving at us as if we were their fans rather than people who were trying to mock them. And then we suddenly realized like, there's no point trying to mock people who don't understand they're being mocked. So we just went back to the pub. Probably a better option. And that's my Hale and Pace anecdote. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so this is Ace. We've done, we've watched all of the Aces. We're like, uh, we're like Motorhead, all the Aces. I think, uh, leave me wanting more for Ace. I, I think, yeah, uh, this definitely makes me want more Ace. 
I think we need life. to dip into a Virgin New Adventure here next. Uh, why, why, why? Let us do that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we should. And uh, you have a recommendation? Maybe the one that Lisa Bauman appears in. What's that one called? Um, uh, a Paul Cornell one. Yeah, what is that? Um, Professor Bernice Summerfield. A New Adventures. Love and War, I'm guessing. Love and War. That's the one. That's a good one. Well, maybe that would be a good one to do. We do Love and War, Paul Cornell's 1992 novel about uh, Ace in the first uh, novel of Bernie Summerfield. That'd be a good uh, yeah. ga- gateway drug, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Love and War. Yeah, so we will anyway, do okay. Love and War, and then uh, if that goes well, then perhaps then let's uh, slip into big finish. So that's what we'll be doing for... Yeah, I mean, there are there are some... Maybe we could do a McCoy, a McCoy Ace big finish. I think that would be good because that's, again, the bridge before we get into the new Who the new would be who, yeah. what was going on with Virgin New Adventures and then big finish because yeah. both predate uh, Russell T. Davis bringing back Doctor Who. Well, very good. So that's the plan. Um, uh, stay tuned, listener. For, for next week's exciting, thrilling episode. All right. And until then, thank you for listening to episode 117 of the Metabulous 2. I have been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with Davis. And until love and war. Farewell. Mm-hmm.